despite all of our differences, there's like this unified, this unified notion of being a New Yorker that is, it's really comforting. Welcome to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gastaska and Jonathan Conlin, break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. In this week's episode, John and Jonathan talk about the three types of New Yorkers they've come to know during their careers, tell some stories about living in New York through their perspectives as longtime residents, and talk about one data point in purchasing real estate that lends itself to low risk and high rewards. Buying and selling property in this climate is complicated, which is exactly why having expert real estate brokers like John and Jonathan on your team is so valuable. Okay, with that, hi everybody, and welcome back to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. Mr. Conlon, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, and yourself? We thought today would be a really great way to uh, not only fill you in on what's going on since the last time that we talked in the past week of selling residential real estate in Manhattan, but the topic today is why we believe that Manhattan is one of the best places in the world to live. How was your week? Like pretending that, oh oh my God, Jonathan, I haven't seen you all week. Not a lot has changed this week. Continuing to see more activity, which is good. We're we're negotiating on a few things, which is good. And so that's exciting. Listen, it's exciting just to be back in that position and have that type of work to do. The tension is, is very high right now. The uncertainty really does play a huge factor in freezing up our market, freezing up the actual activity of negotiating a deal and getting a buyer and seller to see eye to eye. How about yourself? Did you well, get buyers this week? Uh, my deal is moving along. I, as far as I know, everything's on track with my one deal. I had two other buyers who I'm actively working with. Uh, we hit a roadblock with the middle buyer. And then the third buyer, I've made a lot of progress for, and I've, I've located an apartment for them that they've never seen. Building is not allowing them to enter the property. The, the concern is that they, they have such a big fantasy that it's not going to live up to the fantasy. I would say, even though there's not been, oh my God, we did four deals this week, we're making progress. We're, we're servicing the, the problem transactions that we have. We have more properties hitting the market. We have more buyers wanting to come into the market, et cetera. Nobody can say what the ultimate outcome is going to be, but that doesn't mean that the, uh, the only lo- conclusion, the only logical conclusion is, well, then don't do anything. That's right. People need homes and they're, they're coming into the city to work. And as much uncertainty as there is, okay, well, what's going to be the ultimate impact of COVID? It could just as easily be not that big of a negative impact if you find the property that you love, if you find the property that you really want to move into or raise your family and whatever, hold for the long term, retire in, whatever. Those long term purchasers, it's still a good time to get out there and look and get out there and and to um, because that gives you. We've talked about this many times. The longevity of the of the ownership is the number one security blanket you can buy. The search really needs to be property driven more than ever. It's got to be property driven. If you know that you're looking for something specific, if you're looking for a two bed, two bath and a post-war co-op anywhere on the Upper East Side from First Avenue to the park in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you're going to always have a big swath of inventory that you can buy. 
But if you're looking for something a little bit more specific, outdoor space, duplex, or classic uh, six on Central Park West, something on, yeah, something on the park with the park view, like, you know, so if you find that, well, chances are that apartment may not be available for another five years, you know, so that's why I say it's got to be that property specific, it's got to be really property driven. Let me go back to the buyer, the buyer that I had. It was a buyer that I worked with last week and how I educated the audience. They were of their West Side buyers and they're the buyers that saw two different apartments. The one had multiple bids and then the other one there, the backup offer on. And I called the broker for all intents and purposes. She's getting her deal signed up. So I met with the wife last evening and she was very disappointed because they, I found another apartment for them. She liked it and he didn't. I met with her and I had shown them another apartment that she liked. I thought it's a great choice for them. He saw it and he was more mixed on it. And plus he's also coming out of a place of uh, concern about his work, having second thoughts as far as wanting to stay in Manhattan. So that I found out yesterday. So the wife was quite upset, but then she came out and she just dumped everything on me, which was fine because I'm very good at that. That's what I do very, very well. Part of the job. It's part of the job. Some people don't have the time for it. Some brokers. I'm very good at it. So I listened to her and I said, well, okay. Well, understandably so. Let's take a look at from, from your husband's perspective. And so I said, well, he, his number one concern is his family and his job. And he wants you to be happy. Um, but he's feeling a lot of pressure. So as I told him accurately, I'm, he's not going to get pressure from me on any of the apartments. If he wants to buy something, then I'll put pressure on the other broker. So I, I said to her, why not look at rentals? Because he said, well, you know, he's getting a lot of people influencing him saying to move outside of Manhattan. And she said, absolutely not. I don't want that house with the yard or sending the kids to, to school, her son to school there. And it's not Manhattan. And I said, oh, that got me thinking about Manhattan. And there's so many people who are, they're leaving Manhattan. You and I both have many people who are coming back into Manhattan. Well, why do we think Manhattan is one of the best places in the world to live? The impact of COVID-19 on New Yorkers has been intense. Many people are considering buying property outside of the city, but John and Jonathan don't see that trend continuing long-term. After all, New York City has been and will continue to be a center of commerce, arts, industry, education, and wealth. In this next segment, John and Jonathan speak about the three categories New Yorkers fall into and why one category will likely stay, no matter the circumstances. There are three different kinds of people when it comes to how they perceive Manhattan. The first are the people who love Manhattan and who could not think of living anyplace else. The second people are the people who come to Manhattan and who absolutely love Manhattan. And then they're so happy to leave Manhattan. They can't wait to get out. And then there's the third people that they come, they don't really see that they don't love it and they can't wait to get out. So they really don't like Manhattan at all. I loved Manhattan before I even stepped foot into Manhattan. And I knew I would live here by the age of about six. 
Well, what's interesting for me is that I didn't really have a concept of New York City, frankly, until I until I almost moved here. Yeah, until it, right before I moved here, because I got here, I was dating a girl from college. I moved to Pittsburgh with her for I was there for a year and a half. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, she was in fashion. She moved to New York City, Pittsburgh. I love it. It's a beautiful city, um, but I just didn't take to it. So there was really nothing holding me there. So I was like, no, I'll go to New York, you know? I didn't really understand the scope of what I was doing until I was here and living here. And where was your first apartment? Uh, my first apartment, we lived out in Park Slope. We were on Fifth Avenue and like 17th Street, I wanna say. Lived out there for a year and then I moved into the city and was in the city for... Like Brooklyn's not the city. I like when people say that. I moved into the city. You mean you moved into Manhattan? Into Manhattan. And yeah. Jonathan, why don't you tell the audience how many apartments you've lived in in New York City? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> tell them. I was in Park Slope for a year, 11th Street between B and C. Then I moved to 10th Street between 1st and A. Then I moved to 14th Street between 1st and A. Then I moved to Astoria, two different apartments in Astoria. So that's, that's six and seven. And now I'm out here. Uh, so this is my eighth apartment in New York City. There was those first eight years, it was no more than two years in one spot, uh, which kept me very nimble. I could move with a couple of buddies of mine and a, you know, a case of beer and a pizza, and I was done in like <laughs> an hour and a half. Um, Those are the good old days. You've been here a total of what? You moved here? 32 years, Eight, okay. 1988. When I moved and... I, I kid around, but being a Pennsylvania kid, and I had the big dream of being on Broadway. When I came to New York City, when I was a high school senior, I guess, in 1982, I came to see Evita on Broadway. I thought Broadway was a, was a theater. I didn't realize that it's a region. And then when I got into Manhattan, I was like, where's Broadway? What is it? And they're like, you're in Broadway. You're on Broadway. So then it took me a while to figure it out. But then I went to see the show and it was hot. It was so hot and smelly. And it was it, like, I want to live here. I was sweat, sweating and there was so many people around. And I was like, God, I can't wait to live here. I moved into my first apartment in 19, February of 1988 on West 57th Street. And then I moved to West 56th Street. And then I moved to where I am up on West End in 105th. So three different, there were three or four different apartments. Yeah, you got a much better average than I Oh, I was, I was in my apartments for years. I tell the story because... When I moved into Manhattan, and I was an actor, I studied acting, I worked in hotel industry, I wanted to live in Manhattan more than anything. And I was commuting to the city from South Norwalk, Connecticut, where I lived with my brother, and I couldn't, and I was studying acting, and I was around all these actors, and I was like, I can't wait, I can't wait to get into Manhattan. And so a friend of mine had an apartment, she was illegally subletting to me, on West 57th Street. Yes, I illegally sublet it. I didn't know what it meant. And the rent was $500 a month. And that, I was like, oh, I can't afford it really. It was, it was so scary to me. But I went in, I, this apartment was literally, literally the size of my iPhone. It was about 250 to 300 square feet, but it was cute. Skylight, little fireplace. I walked in, I, I was like, oh, it's so small. I kind of like walked and made a left and I went into the bathroom and then I made a right and I made the kitchen so I could like go to the bathroom and I could cook at the same time. I mean, but it was cute. So I was like, I can do this. I can do this. So I move into this apartment 
for those who don't know, West 57th Street, that's a wide street. And I remember staying in the apartment the first night and I was like, I can't get out of the city. I can't get out. I started like almost hyperventilating. I'm like, oh no, what did I do? Because I would always would come in and leave. That lasted about 24 hours. 24 hours later, I was like, wow, I can get my pizza at the corner. And then I started to figure out that became my neighborhood. I loved it. People who are wanting to buy in Manhattan, it's like the city becomes so much smaller mm -hmm. when you live there. What I always tell people is that there's a different neighborhood for everybody. The city is so big when you first move here. Huge. I think the first thing that, that helped the city get so much smaller for me is once I learned the subway system. Mm -hmm. you know, once you get a handle on how to commute, how to get around, it really brought everything into perspective. It gave me relationship between this neighborhood and that neighborhood. And you know, one of the biggest benefits to living in New York City is that really at any moment you can do whatever you want. Like there's, there's just a plethora of things yeah. to do. And regardless of whether you partake in any of those, it's still nice to know that you can do them. You know, you can get virtually anything delivered to your door, eat any kind of cuisine that you want, very well prepared. You can go see any kind of show that you want. You can go to any kind of museum that you want. You can, and then you can go and sit in Central Park and actually have like be surrounded by nature, which is just such a, something that I've, come to really appreciate much more and I will walk across the park when I can if it fits into the schedule and such because it's just such a nice dichotomy to have and they maintain it's such a beautiful park as it is it's that ability to have so much at your fingertips like if we just decide hey it's Tuesday night and let's go see a Cirque du Soleil show you can pick up and go and do that there's only a few cities in the world that you can do that one of the things that I've loved that you and I have done, special dinner at Christmas, the four of us, you and Karen and me and Jonathan, or me and uh, Wright. For those for the audience, we choose a different restaurant, like one of the most expensive, wonderful New York restaurants. And it's not like we go often, but it's a very special evening. And so for the past several years, we've chosen one. And the first time I think we did that as a Christmas before Christmas was, we got into Per Se the Wednesday, a week before. And for those who don't know, Per Se was the hardest restaurant in Manhattan to get into. And you had a book many months in advance. And we had our assistant call. I said, well, this is useless, but call. And they said, well, they have a five o'clock reservation next Wednesday. I said, take it. I don't care if it's a 2 a.m. reservation. And we had the time of our lives. We had to leave early because Nina was at home. We had to relieve the babysitter. And it was like- Four hours. It was like 9 or 9.30 when we left. Five hours. Yeah, we were there. And, and you still, we still didn't, we had to skip dessert. <laughs> I know <laughs> you really hated that. That was, that was the worst of it for you. Just get, was, having to eat dessert all by I gave you your, I gave you your beautiful biscuit or whatever they had, that dessert. Yeah, we took something, but. Yeah, but it, was it was a fabulous evening. But, but it's those kinds of experiences it's that, those kinds of experiences that are wonderful. Or, or even within the context of work, when you and I are downtown, and we, I say, let's go for lunch. We never go for lunch. That's just that it was like, okay, you know, let's just do this. And then we treat ourselves. Also with every bakery that I ever run into, 
in New York City, I don't care where it is. I, one of my favorite things is working with the buyers. I say, look, it is a very stressful thing for you to have to buy a piece of real estate. I don't own a $3 million apartment. So we're going to try to make it as fun as possible. Because if it's not fun, then I'm not doing my job. They're like, okay, that sounds really great. So usually where we go out, we take them to lunch, whatever. But if we're near a bakery, I always have to say, have you, I've not tried this. Dude, would you like to come in? Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe I'll have you, a cookie. A cookie? A cookie? No, we're going to have one of these and one of these and one of these. And then we're going to split them. <laughs> it's a little rich for me. That's like music to John Gastaska's ears. It's, that, it's no, a little it's, rich for me. It, and I kind of watch them how they just eat like a bite or so of one. And I got like six. Oh, well, they say, I say, you take them with you. Oh, no, 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 no. I want you to take them. Okay, I'll take them with me. The energy of Manhattan is often palpable, and you won't know if the city's right for you until you live here. The sheer diversity and vast array of opportunities are some of the reasons Manhattan is so unique, but they can also be overwhelming. John and Jonathan talk about all of that and more in this next segment, including their feelings about the unified notion of being a New Yorker. So one of the things we talk about is the immense energy that emanates in Manhattan, in specific in Manhattan, because you can go at any moment in time, whether it's a residential neighborhood or a commercial neighborhood in the middle of the day and throw a stone and hit 20, 30, 40 people at any moment. That energy that just comes from having the sheer number of people is not for everybody you don't really know whether the city's going to be right until you live here. I mean, obviously we have people and I'm sure you've had family that has come and friends that have come and visited and they're like, okay, once is enough. It's great to see, but I don't really ever need to come back here. There is certainly that third category where uh, they don't want that energy. They don't want that amount of people around them. They don't no. they want their peace and quiet. Me, you know, I'm from a small town in Iowa, 50,000 people, not a tiny farming community, but a small, uh, a small city with a lot, everybody gets a lot of square footage at any given moment in time. You know, it's not for everybody, but I will say as the longer I lived here, of course, the city got smaller, like we talked about. And once I learned the subway system and figure out where everything's at and how the subway systems connect and I mean, you can get anywhere on public transportation, but, and then you can really get a sense of, okay, is this uh, something that I want in my life? But when I was, I was in the city 15 years before I bought a house outside of Manhattan. Well, when I was a kid, I took a bus a from Pennsylvania into, Ma into Port Authority. And then uh, the, the woman who picked us up, we were going, my cousin and I were going to stay with a friend of ours in Stanford, Connecticut. So we had to get, a, get to Grand Central Station from Times Square or from Port Authority. And she was making us walk. I looked up and I was like, oh, it's not that far. You know, because perspective is very different. You know, the buildings are so big. I said, oh, it's just up a, I remember walking with a suitcase and I was like, how much longer is it? She said, oh, it's very close. I was like, no, it's not. You told us it was not that far. It's so far, it felt like, five miles walking but that's you know that's part of it you know the only other thing that i wanted to mention that one of the things that i i, uh, I just adore about new york city is uh the 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 vast difference of uh people the variance of people that we see 
all from all over the world, the different dialects and different languages spoken and the different uh, perspectives that people take and the, you know, all of it. And, you know, we're blessed to be in a, an industry where we get to really learn uh, about our clients, not only personally, because we, you know, we become friends with, with all of our clients and we, we learn about their lives, et cetera. But then we also get to see where they make their money, how they make their money, how they invest their money. It's so interesting. I mean, it's one of the biggest things that keeps me interested in real estate um, is because there's always something new to learn. So you have different cultures, different industries, uh, different lifestyles, and and everybody sort of just acknowledges that. But at the end of the day, you do feel after living here that if you go to a New Yorker as a New Yorker, like that almost comes first. Despite all of our differences, there's like this unified, this unified notion of being a New Yorker that is, it's really comforting. One of the things that I love about being in Manhattan and a Manhattanite is that I can still, 32 years of living in this city, walk down a block that I did not know existed. I look at a piece of property and I say, oh my God, what a beautiful home that is mainly on the like the Upper East Side, or like I'm in the West Village. And I walk down a street and I say, oh, this is such an amazing street. I go to Paris and I say, oh, Paris is a far more beautiful city than New York City. It just is. I mean, you go to Paris and the, every building is so incredibly beautiful. So in Manhattan- Probably anybody would argue that point. Exactly. People would come to Manhattan and say, oh, it's such a beautiful city. They, you know, Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue and blah, 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 and Central Park and yeah. You get a fall day, 73 to 75 degrees, low humidity, or a spring day where the tulips are out on Park Avenue and you walk and you, the sun is so clear and the sky is crystal blue and you look at the buildings and you say, oh, that's why I love Manhattan. Yes, Manhattan is and always will be one of the greatest places in the world to live, in my heart and in yours. When 9-11 happened, it was cataclysmic. It was something that we had never witnessed before. Shock and bewilderment and despair and uh, mourning. And it was a horrible time in our lives. But yet it was about a month later, downtown. I remember being downtown and having to hold my nose with like my hanky or a tissue like because the buildings, it, it was still burning and it was it just smelled. It smelled of chemicals and such. But we were, I was showing apartments to people. I remember that completely. There was an influx of people out, but then there was an influx of people in, and that brought us into a new cycle. Podcast number three, Under Our Belts. It was good to talk to you, John. I'm sure I'll talk to you tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, maybe the one after. And we no, might I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought I it was a lot of fun. I think I think a lot of, everybody should know that we, you know, how much we love our beloved city. You know? I'm very happy to know that I can still learn something about you. Oh, I'm staying right back at you, you know. After all this time, you know, because we don't always have these conversations about our perspectives on things because we just have so much other stuff to talk about uh, in the world of business, which is you know, I think it's it's the only reason why our partnership has maintained is because we still are interested in knowing one another. That's great. That's uh, well put. Yeah. 
and we will see everybody next time, next week. Absolutely, yep. Have Thank a great, you, everybody. Have a great Enjoy week, everybody. Day. Thanks for watching, and um, we'll see you next week. Stay safe and healthy, and mostly, John, remain in gratitude. Thanks for watching or listening to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gostaska and Jonathan Conlin, break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. If you'd like to take a look at our listings, have a property you're thinking of selling, or are wondering if we could help you finally find the perfect place to call home, feel free to reach out. You can email us at info at johnandjonathansellnyc.com or reach out via our Facebook page or Instagram at johnandjonathansellnyc. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider telling a friend or family member about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are some of the best ways of supporting our efforts and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in. We can't wait to share what's coming up next. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss our next episode, and we'll see you next time.